everyone, and welcome to What About the Canadians, a podcast about Canadian history. My name is Shauna. And my name is Ashley. And we're two rookie historians bringing to you the Canadian history you should know. This season, we'll be discussing World War I through a Canadian perspective. More specifically, we will examine the battles the Canadians served in. Ashley, it's the most wonderful time of the year! I know, Santa Claus is on his way! Are you excited? Yeah, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm not as excited as I normally am, but I'm excited. Oh, why not? I don't know. It it was just more of a Halloween year for me. That's fair. That's fair. But since it is the holiday season, for our second mini-sode, which is actually going to be a mini-sode this time, (laughs) not not that 40-minute thing that Ash did last time. That 40-minute thing. (laughs) It was a beautiful tribute to John McRae. Thank you. That's right. But (laughs) since this is supposed to be a mini-sode... I'm actually going to do a mini-sode. It's going to be much shorter. Um, I thought we should talk about Christmas at the front and at home during the war. Oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. I thought we'd uh, do something a little festive. Still talking about war, so it's still a little bit depressing, but it's something. They had war. I was going to say they had war on the front. (laughs) They had Christmas at the front. (laughs) (laughs) Of course they had war at the front. Of course they had war at the front. They didn't have it at home. They had it at the front. That's right. Okay, so first Christmas in Canada. Right now and back then, it's a pretty familiar celebration for most Western nations. In Canada, it's not all that significantly different from Christmas in America, Britain, or France, or any of those nations that we were going to war together with. But that's mostly because these cultures were the ones that influenced Canada as a whole and with Christmas traditions. Now, obviously, in discussing Christmas, we're also discussing religion, since Christmas is a predominantly Christian tradition. Even though now the commercialized version is celebrated by a lot of different denominations and cultures, it's still the basis of it was in religion, is in religion. Mm-hmm. Um, we touched about this a little bit during our first episode, uh, but Canada during the first part of the 20th century was mainly a white British society with just a few sprinklings of other ethnicities. And I don't want to gloss over those other ethnicities, but the majority were white British men and women. So by the time the First World World War rolled around, the Protestants, Catholics, and other Christians had turned Christmas into the biggest annual celebration of the year. During World War I, Christmas didn't look remarkably different from how it's celebrated now. Christmas trees were a staple in many houses, although they weren't the cultured, nice, pretty versions that you can get from the Canadian Tire parking lot now. (laughs) (laughs) they were more the kind that you get from taking your family out hiking into the mountains in knee deep snow for you know those bare branch lodgepole pines that bring in those charlie brown vibes that was mostly what you saw that's your dad's favorite tree that is he loves it if he can put decorations right near the trunk and you can (laughs) see clear through it that is his jam (laughs) 
Um, and the decorations on the trees were a little less intense than they are now. Uh, they mostly would have been made of paper links and popcorn garland. And the trees would have actually had real candles set on their branches. I don't know how they got them to stay there with such flimsy branches. But they only would have been lit for a small amount of time and everybody would have been around it. So, you know, fire hazards were minimized. But still, you have to wonder how many Christmas trees went up in flames? You know, that would have been a really great tangent to go on. And I just didn't go down that rabbit hole. That's that's perfectly fine. But that would be every <laughs> firefighter's worst nightmare today. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. What a bad idea. No but kidding. I'm sure it looked beautiful. Oh, it was probably spectacular. As long as you were paying attention to the tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want your drunkle sitting in the corner like bashing the tree or something with his flailing arms and stories and <laughs> it'd be like national lampoons when the cat gets <laughs> <laughs> oh i love that movie oh, so much so do i <laughs> <laughs> save the neck for me clark <laughs> oh <laughs> and back to 1915. <laughs> Small presents were given, and of course there was a mass for any, or for many on either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, and a family dinner. Normal kind of standard holiday things, like what I think is pretty normal, that's what we do. But for those that were in Europe, Christmas looked a lot different than what would have been going on at home. The Canadians had their first Christmas in Europe in 1915. And by this time, the Canadians had been at the front eight or nine months, and they had seen their fair share of the burden of war. A cold, wet, miserable Belgian winter had set in, and the men were huddled in the trenches fighting the freezing conditions that caused colds, pneumonia, trench foot, and a handful of other maladies. Although the conditions were dreary and depressing, the soldiers found ways to celebrate the season and make their holidays a little brighter than it could have been. One of the ways they kept up their spirits was through trench newspapers. There were 30 different trench newspapers made by the Canadians during the war, and they had names like the Listening Post, Dead Horse Corner Gazette, and the Wipers Times. But not many of these copies survived, so we don't have a whole lot of examples anymore. Did they call it the Wipers Time because they didn't know <laughs> how to say Ypres? I, I think that's exactly it. There, there was like some lost in translation stuff going on and maybe Ypres was just too tough to say. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it was, it's great. <laughs> um, but one Christmas issue from 1915 of the Listening Post did make it home and it kind of showed the lighthearted side of what they were dealing with in the war. And this one talks about how if Santa Claus had included any portion of the British front on his program, they could see no earthly reason why he wouldn't call at the business address of the 7th Battalion, 1st British Columbia Regiment, and how one of the privates had been persuaded, despite his reluctance, to replace his dirty socks on the barbed wire with clean ones, just in case. Even though there were worries about the Germans getting Santa, and how such a contingency would never be forgiven by future generations. They were worried about Santa getting shot, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's no Santa Claus this year, kids. 
Oh God, imagine having to tell your kids that. Sorry. Santo got shot on the front. <laughs> That's a good doctor. Sorry. <laughs> also in this issue, they relayed ideas for the Padres Christmas sermon, like the whiz bangs and crump crumps have taught them that it is better to give than to receive. I have no idea what a crump crump is. I'm no. guessing it's some sort of artillery or bullet or something. Couldn't find that out. Yeah, I guess if it's in the same like category as whiz bang, it's probably something along that line. Yeah, and a whiz bang is um, a small artillery shell that was so fast that you could only hear it for an instant before it exploded. So maybe crump crump was like, that sounds more like stomp 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 so maybe it was like super loud and big i don't know maybe so a little farther down in their talks about the sermon they had written about how christmas is about peace and goodwill towards men seems a little hypocritical or ironic yes maybe. a little bit <laughs> but they 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 realize that and they even rationalize it by saying that they are sacrificing their christmas that they could be spending at home with the girl they left behind to slog through the mud to keep the the Deutschland Uber Alice, which is a quote. Um, I was looking up how to pronounce that, and I read that a lot of Germans consider that a term mostly used by Nazis or neo-Nazis. Um, so I'm not meaning to offend anybody there. It's, it's just an accurate quote. That's true, too, though. They did sacrifice to be... On the front for our people at home. They did. And they wanted to stop the Germans from, they said, getting to the top of the heap so they can celebrate the Prince of Peace with a clear conscience. But as late as they tried to keep it in the trenches during the holiday season, I would bet that a lot of the Canadians were hoping that there would be a truce like there had been the year before. Now, a lot of people have heard about the Christmas truce that happened during 1914. And this was the Christmas before the Canadians got there. This was a surprising Christmas for everyone because many people believed that the war would be over before the holidays. That's right. Yeah, they, they had a clear propaganda message that the war would be over before Christmas. But since the men were still in the trenches and not at home, they found their own way of celebrating. After seeing Christmas trees in the German trenches, the British heard carol singing and requests not to fire were shouted across no man's land. Eventually, men from both sides climbed out of the trenches and exchanged small gifts of rum, cigarettes, and other food or trinkets. And they even took pictures with each other. And of course, there was the infamous soccer game, where both sides played a fun game in the middle of no man's land. This game, though, has been mythologized, and some question whether or not it actually happened. But Ernie Williams from the Cheshire Regiment insisted that the Germans brought around a soccer ball, or football, he said, because he's British, and they had a kick around rather than a proper game. But there wasn't a truce across the entire front line. It was massive at the time. And many areas didn't take part in the truce. And a lot of men still died on Christmas Day. Many of the officers were unhappy with their men for engaging in the truce and fraternizing with the enemy since the spirit of war and the propaganda of the time relied on the idea that the Germans were evil baby eaters. Baby eaters. <laughs> it's obviously not true, but there was a lot of atrocities committed in Belgium, or at least they like to portray it that way. They uh, they didn't 
want them fraternizing with them and thinking that they're actually not so bad because I would imagine it's a lot harder to want to kill men that you could actually empathize with. That's right. Although I've never heard them be called baby eaters before. Yeah, I I dug into the propaganda a little bit and I mean, obviously they did not eat babies, but <laughs> obviously, <laughs> but there was some issues with starvation and, you mm. know, imprisonment of people and governments tried to make that seem a whole lot. I mean, not that it wasn't bad, but they emphasized it a whole lot more and changed it into something that it probably wasn't right just to, you know, build up the, the war spirit. Um, unfortunately for the Canadians... They weren't authorized to have any sort of truce. Continuing with the sentiment after the previous year's fraternization of keeping the enemy as the enemy. One Canadian soldier, though, Lance Corporal George Dahl, who had fought through the Second Battle of Ypres and Festibere, Festibere, <laughs> which we talk about in our next episode, and various other engagements on the Western Front, was interviewed about his experience during Christmas 1915. He remembered how the shelling had stopped, and they all hoped for another truce. The Germans seemed to be the ones that wanted to initiate a Christmas ceasefire by shouting, Merry Christmas, Canadians, from their trenches. And one whiskered fellow, a German, held out a box of cigars and waved, the, waved it over at the Canadians. However, Dahl and his battalion were under strict no-fraternizing rules, and instead of accepting the gift, a sergeant opened fire, killing the man and two Germans. Oh. So the Germans returned the fire and killed two Canadians on Christmas Day. That seemed a little unnecessary. Yeah, I, you know, you could just say, no thanks. Yeah. No, we're not allowed to do that this year. It's unfortunate. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for the... I told you it'd be a little bit depressing. <laughs> but I'm going to lighten it up here. It's like, you know, the, the sandwich that you build somebody up and tear them down and build them up again. So Look here's at the you, Shauna. <laughs> so this example supports the popular idea that after 1914 and that truce, the two sides were heavily opposed the entirety of the war. But of course, there's always exceptions, and the Western Front was a long distance. Um, historian Thomas Weber, who is the Chair of History and International Affairs at the University of Aberdeen, looked into the idea of Christmas truces and scoured through soldiers' letters for ev evidence of camaraderie, or at least a little bit of humanity during the holidays. We have to remember, though, that soldiers' letters and communications sent home were heavily censored. They wanted to keep that idea again that the Germans were the enemy. They didn't want people feeling sorry for them or even seeing them as like, could be their neighbors or anything like that. Right. But there was a communication that made it through from Toronto Regiment Captain Stephen Hobdy, or Hobday. I'm not sure, I think it's Hobday. His letter made it through and he wrote that the men of one of his battalions walked halfway across no man's land, meeting two Germans. They shook hands and exchanged buttons and addresses, which was followed by cheers from both sides of the line. He also found a letter, uh, sorry, that was Thomas Weber, the historian, found another letter from Private Ronald McKinnon, who wrote that there was a Christmas truce where the Canadians and Germans traded bully beef for cigars. 
And the Canadians thought they got the better end of the deal on that one. Oh, I agree. Because war rations sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mind a corned beef once in a while, but I've never had one from a can, so I don't know how no, good that would but be. But I like cigars, so I'd be pleased with that. If you're ever in a trench, take the good side of the deal. <laughs> So that's a small bite of Christmas for the Canadians during World War I. But of course, one thing that I haven't mentioned is that not everyone celebrates Christmas. And we know the majority of the soldiers were white, Protestant, Catholic, British, French men. But there were actually over 5,000 Jewish soldiers that probably celebrated Hanukkah, not at the exact time of Christmas, but early December, late November, depending on the year. And this I found really interesting is that there are actually 22 Muslim soldiers fighting in the Canadian units and they would have been celebrating Ramadan and Eid. Right. Yeah. I assumed that because they had all these rules, like if basically if you were a person of color, you couldn't sign up. Yeah. Especially that early during the war. Mm hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, and there was the one, I think one Muslim man died during the war, and that was it. So, I mean, I found that really cool. I yeah. had no idea. No, me neither. Yeah. Awesome. So, that is my little mini-sode on Christmas. Yay! <laughs> and it was a real mini-sode. <laughs> it was a real mini-sode. You did it! Yay! <laughs> so, I hope everyone, we hope everyone has a ho happy holiday season, and we'll be back on New Year's Day talking about Festibear and Givenchy. And I did want to say that if anybody wants to send us a little bit of a Christmas gift or Christmas cheer, we love it when people say hi on our Facebook or Instagram and leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or a review would be wonderful because those ratings actually do get us into the algorithm. Yeah, that would be awesome. I am constantly checking our Instagram and I am so excited when we get a new follower. So if you want to follow us on Instagram, that would be wonderful. We love all you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays, no matter what you celebrate. And we will see you guys in the new year. 